You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. seen you for a few weeks, some of you last Saturday, which was fun, wasn't it, Ron? He said yes, it was fun, Janet and I enjoyed it, if you didn't get there, I surprised her with the renewing of our vows on the day, which was cool, we, we did that, I had a great week, I mean, it started the week with the University of Alabama winning their fifth national championship in nine years, and I knew it was going to be a good week. I knew that from the beginning, except for tomorrow in the NFL, Janet's favorite team plays my favorite team (laughs) to determine who goes to the Super Bowl. May the best team win, which is the Minnesota Vikings, not the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, thanks to all who made last week uh, really special for us. You know, it dawned on me, we have celebrated our 20th, 30th, and 40th wedding anniversary with you guys which was also my 40th, 50th, and 60th birthday with you guys, which is incredible. We've loved sharing it with you over the decades. You can't say that often, can you? In this disposable, quick-change world, you can't say decades. I just like it rolling off the tongue because it makes me feel vigorous and old. Um, But no, thanks for sharing it. Graham came in this morning and said, I I, I was going to bring the walking stick for you this morning. Thanks, Graham. I'll just remind you, you're a month older than me. I don't want to take your stick from you. No, so it's been been a great week. I'm out of shape. I haven't preached since Christmas Eve. So I'm going to be all over the shop, but it's going to also be vulnerable and personal when you talk about dreams. Because we've been talking about getting a dream and kind of running with it. Now, just in case you think this talking about dreams is some kind of positive self-talk, just to make you feel good about your life. Let me remind you that God is the one who gives dreams. You know, if you go back and you read Acts chapter 2, you'll see that His people are to be characterized by dreams and visions. This isn't just some positive self-speak to make us feel good in a negative world. God is the dream giver and He speaks through dreams. Dreams are often the language that the Holy Spirit speaks through. Not every dream you have, but... you. I don't know, have you experienced this, but I certainly have. I know the difference between one of my weird, crazy, fruity dreams and one that's from God. And I'm not always asleep when it comes. And I know when it comes. And a dream can make you do some outrageous things, crazy things. I remember the dream that Janet and I had some 36 plus years ago as we loaded everything that we had left of our belongings because we sold everything to buy one-way air tickets on Pan Am, don't ever, well, you can't fly with them anymore, but anyway, a 10-week-old baby, three suitcases flew from the east coast of America all the way in one go, well, just stopping to puddle jump into planes, big puddles, um, all the way to Wyala, South Australia. Here's the crazy side of it. We had never, ever been to Australia before we moved here. Nowadays, people go, oh, I don't know if God's calling me to a place, so I got to go visit it several times and fly first class and stay in a six-star hotel, then God might give me a dream for that place. For us, it was crazy. It was like, and you could go, golly, that was reckless. That was unwise. 
And it would be if God hadn't given the dream. It was a dream from God. And he goes, dream from God? How do you know something like that is from God? That is out there. And and people often use the phrase, God told me. I I take a deep breath when I hear that nowadays. (gasps) I just go, right. What do you want me to say? I'm not God. End of story. Punctuation. It. But they often say, God told me to justify some actions they're about to do that might not quite be appropriate. Oh yeah, God tells people. There was a story in the news this past week, I don't know if you saw it, a man and a woman in California. As they say, only in America. I say it this way, only in California. A man and a woman who had 13 children locked them in their house in horrendous conditions. Their eldest child was only 30-something kilos, I think, and she was 29, I think. Fed them one time a day, only let them get a shower twice a month, chained them to their beds. The worst part is, when they finally moved in because one of the children escaped and went and told the authorities, when they arrested the parents, their simple line was, God told us. That's horrendous to me. And, And yet, in spite of people blaming God for inappropriate things, there is no doubt He wants to speak to us, right? And He'll often do it through dreams. And probably the most well-known story about somebody receiving a dream from God is Joseph. I'm not sure I've ever even preached on Joseph after nearly 40 years of preaching. Not all at once, but... You know, Joseph was bold. He heard from God. He kept his integrity. Didn't give in to temptation. And in the end, he was vindicated. I mean... His dream became a reality, and he's often the subject of a lot of sermons, good sermons. And he's he's classified as a hero of the faith. But there's another side to the story that people often fail to see. Maybe you've not seen this. And it's like many heroes of the faith, Joseph had character flaws. I mean, they're listed. You go through the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, and you got Abraham, the liar, David, the adulterer and murderer, you got Jacob, the deceiver. I mean, the list goes on. You got Rahab, the harlot. We have a pretty good heritage, don't we? To walk in. Right. Well, Joseph's in that list. And there's another side to Joseph that people often miss. I like what, what Strasner says in his book on, on Genesis. He says this, Joseph comes across as a spoiled, arrogant know-it-all. Who had a brother like that? I'm not putting up my hand. Especially my older brother, he'd flog me, which he often did. I was in the middle. I got flogged from both sides because they teamed up on me. But as you read through the story in Genesis, you know what you're going to see? Joseph handling his dream inappropriately. That's what you're going to see. But stick with me, it ends well. It doesn't always go well, but it ends well. That kind of characterizes my life. What about you? Doesn't always go well, but it's going to end well. Don't wish my end too soon, by the way. So, let's read it. Yep, Simon's here. I'm just getting you to crank that laugh up a little bit and a little bit. Does your sister laugh like you? No, she says no. Husband, does she laugh like brother? Yeah, I was going to say, thank God. Good. By the way, speaking of Simon, 
his better half, Mel, is being ordained as a pastor next week, which is awesome. She's, uh, she's walked a journey through her calling and her dream, and next week she's preaching on the dream and being ordained. Okay, so Genesis, here we go, 37, verse 2. This is the account of Jacob. I'm going to pause. Who's Jacob? Israel, the biggest deceiver in history. Now look at the family heritage Joseph is growing up in. Dad is a liar, a cheat, and a no-good scoundrel at times. So Jacob's, uh, Joseph's got big shoes to fill. Let's go. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, you don't want to say that quick, together, his wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them, 11 older brothers. What an idiot. It's like, do you want to get flogged or what? I only had one older brother, and if I did that, I got beat like a red-headed stepchild. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, sorry, Harvey. Anyway, I've been told off of that before anyway. Man. This is, here's the first sign that something's wrong in the family. Look at the next one. Here's another sign. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than his other brothers. I think they've got some dysfunctions happening at home. Because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. It's getting worse. Talk about a hero. Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. If you could read it as it originally says, it doesn't just say he told them, it's how he told them. Okay, let's keep that in mind. He said to them, listen, imagine that, little upstart. Hey, boys, listen, I had this dream, I'm going to tell you about it. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign? I bet you they left out the swear words because it's a Bible. Do you intend on to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Amazing thing. He gets a dream from God and instead of good, the way that he shares the dream turns out bad, at least for now. And if that wasn't enough, Joseph does it again and he raises the level. Like stupid is as stupid does. Verse 9. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. And he starts again. Listen. Like by this stage, somebody put a sock in his mouth. He said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Pause. You know, he's talking now about mom and dad. That Israel, the head of the clan, is going to bow down to this little upstart. Now, you need to understand that in the culture of the day, this would be seen immediately as dishonoring. Immediately. But what did his dad do? He lied and cheated to steal first place in the family from Esau, right? He's just following in his dad's footsteps. But you need to know that what Joseph, the least in the family, is doing, he is exalting himself to the head of the family. That is totally dishonoring. You don't do that. In Asian culture, that is very bad. Verse 9, uh, verse 10. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him as if he has the right, anyway, and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? 
His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. You know, oftentimes in our immaturity, God will still speak to us. That's a good thing. You don't have to be mature for God to speak, but you need maturity to act. Listen to me. Because oftentimes in immaturity, we will act with zeal, but zeal without wisdom results in bad action. You need to know that. And it doesn't mean that God says, I'll wait till you grow up till I give you a dream. No, this is a kid. He's 17 years old. I was two years old as a Christian, even before that, when God gave me my first kind of, oh, he's talking to me about life with him. I'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to ask the question that I asked earlier. How do you know that a dream really is from God? How do you know God's talking? When God says, God told me, I, like I said, I take a deep breath. <gasps> Here it comes. In other words, they're just making an announcement. I, I often will do this. Above and beyond anything else, I look for evidence that God, in fact, talks to this person because I look at the fruit. More than anything else, I look at the fruit. The fruit of what has been, the fruit of what is, and the fruit of what will be. You know, Jesus made reference to the fruit that characterizes lives. He said, by their fruit you will know them. Look at the fruit. You'll get a clear view into the situation if you look at the fruit. And even though, stay with me on this, even though Joseph acted inappropriately, totally inappropriately, there's evidence of fruit in his life all the way through. Even though he's immature, there's still some evidence of fruit. Right from the very beginning, the reveal of when he has the dream, on, that on one night, he has a dream, he goes and tells his brother, and they hated him more than ever. His attitude reveals that the dream is showing, the way he does it, not the dream, but there's some serious immaturity there. Total immaturity. Spoiled brat. What should he have done? Joseph should have included his brothers in the process of the dream. It's a family thing. He should have been saying to his older brothers, who are older, probably wiser, they've been around longer, hey guys, what do you think's going on? Instead, he just announced, and they know what he's announcing, from here on out, bow down to me. And going, you little upstart. I don't care if you call it... What should he have done? He should have included his brothers, and he certainly should have gone to his dad and said, Dad, our parents really are people that are over us. Honor your father and mother. The blessing of God is on that. He should have gone to his dad and said, I've got affirmation. But he didn't. He just even announced this to his dad. Oh, by the way, you too, old boy, you're going you're gonna to bow. Old man, don't ever call me old man. My son has never called me old man. I'll flog him. Not nowadays, but he's too big, too strong. But here's the deal. At the reveal, Joseph's handling of the dream revealed his attitude of elitism and exclusivism. Listen to me. Often when people say God said, they are very dangerous to stepping into an attitude of elitism. God told me. He talked to me. What can you say? They're not asking you to join in the process and be with them in the journey. They're telling you. God said it, so bow to this. And there's this exclusivism and elitism about it. I'm the one that heard from God, not you. That's dangerous. You know some of the, some of the cults have emerged out of such events? 
But even though Joseph's immature and he puts a cloud over his dream, it didn't disapprove of the reality of the dream. Or it didn't prove the reality is not there. The dream is real, right? And I've seen this happen on a number of occasions where others, like Joseph's family, write off the dream because of the immature actions and the attitude of the person getting the dream. Yeah, it's not God. God wouldn't do that. Look at them. And they just write it off. But you need to mark this truth. Even when others do not believe in our dream because they do not believe in us, God still believes in the dream He has for us. He knows we're immature. He knows about our shortcomings, but He has still chosen us to give us a dream. Even though. Nonetheless, Joseph's immaturity necessitated the need for him to be developed. And it was going to be hard work. He's 17. I find that interesting because I got born again at 17. Now, I'll tell you a story about what happened two years later. I had to learn some hard lessons, like Joseph, over time. But often, you see, like Joseph, we think, now listen, you need to hear this. We think the dream is primarily about us, our importance, the benefits we get out of this. Oh, they're going to bow to me. I'm going to be the head. It's all about me. But the dream really from God is far more than just about us. It's far bigger than you can imagine. And in immaturity, you can't see that. And that's the way Joseph was. See, here's the deal. Joseph thought this dream was about his significance when in reality, God was thinking about his influence. Joseph assumed this was about his position over his family, whereas God plans for his importance over nations. And in our immaturity, we often limit the dream. We don't just inappropriately handle it, we limit it. And because Joseph didn't get it at first and he acts out of immaturity, he had to go through years of hard testing. About a decade and a half of hard testing. What's it saying, James? The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance develops character. Well, Joseph learned that lesson. But you know, in learning that lesson, I want you to know something. From the very beginning, there's fruit. What fruit? Stay with me. There's fruit from the testing of his faith in the dream. Now, if you keep reading the story, we don't have time to read it, it's chapters long. You keep reading the story, the brothers are so ticked at him, they want to kill him. I don't know if you've ever had an older brother say, I'm going to kill you. But you don't, you're not, oh yeah, that's nice. That's good. Let's have an ice cream. Shove it down your throat. Anyway, brothers want to kill him. One of them begs, don't do it, don't kill the boy, it'll kill our father. So they just throw him in a pit, come what may. And all of a sudden, some Arabs come by on donkeys. Ah, got a deal, let's sell him. If we're going to get rid of him, let's make some money off of it. Smart boys. So verse 28 says, So the brothers pulled Joseph up. They lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. You need to keep that in mind. 17-year-old kid, he doesn't even know the language of these people that's got him now in possession. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. This is a 17-year-old kid who one minute thinks, I'm going to be head. He's now not even sure if he's going to be alive. This is called the test of opposition. 
your dream will go through a testing of opposition. And this would be one of the most difficult tests to pass. And sometimes this test comes from where we least expect it. From the very people that we believe should be encouraging us. They want to kill us. Or they don't like us. Now, I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable because, as I said, I was two years old as a Christian. I'd, God's called me to ministry. I'm going to go change the world. Had this attitude. You know, zeal is fine. Immaturity isn't. Went off this Christian university studying. I was in my second semester at university studying, and I went to a, a class on world mission, and I believe God then plants the dream in my heart as a result of that. All the way back in February 1977, God plants this dream in my heart to go to Australia. I'm from Alabama. I've never even been any further west than Texas. Serious. The first time I ever even went to California was to change planes to head towards Honolulu. And I'd never... Australia, right, okay. I think they speak like the British and they have funny animals. I'm from Alabama, you know, we didn't, we didn't travel much. But I got excited. God, man, I got, I got excited. God's calling me to Australia. It's going to be awesome. So I go to the mission department, new Christian. Man, God's calling me to Australia. What do I need to do? They said, what you should do is do a summer ministry trip with a church in Australia. Great, I want to do that. I didn't listen anymore after that. So I immediately started contacting people all the way back in my home church in Alabama going, support me, give me money, I'm going to Australia, I'm going to reach the nation. And I went back home for spring break. And I get messaged, it's a large church, and I don't have much contact with a senior pastor, I'm more in contact with the associate who is my mentor. It's a large church. And I get this message, the senior pastor wants to see you. Man, I'm pumped. He's going to support my ministry. He's going to send me down there to reach Aussies. Back then, I didn't know you were called Aussies. Don't you hate it when Americans go Aussie? Like, oh, anyway, I didn't say that because I didn't even know it. So I walked into his office pumped, ready for this. Oh, young man, this is awesome. Love your calling. Love what you're going to do. And I walked in. There he was, sitting behind a big mahogany desk. Lights were dim. First thing he said was, don't sit down. And for the next 10 minutes, he unloaded on me. How dare you? That was his next words. How dare you? I'm standing there as a two-year-old Christian, devastated. I walked out of that office with ears down, tail tucked between my legs. But what's worse, the thoughts. If God really was calling me, surely he'd make the senior pastor see that. Surely. Surely he would have confirmed that. Surely everything would have gone well. And I walked out of there going, must not be God. Blew that one, missed that. Not going to happen. And it put me on a journey. I was in a tailspin for the rest of the semester. What is God? Did I really hear him? Can I hear him? Does he really have a calling on my life? Imagine what must have gone through young Joseph's mind. He's in this caravan. He's, not, he's with people he can't even understand. He doesn't know his future. He thinks he's heard two dreams from God. Not just once, but the second time it gets bigger. He's in this caravan, 17-year-old, and he's going, God, if that were you, all the insecurity, all the fear, all the what's going to happen to my life running through his head, but somewhere 
between Canaan and Egypt, this young 17-year-old decides in his heart of hearts, I will not allow doubt and bitterness to take over my life. There is a God and I know Him. True. How do you know that happened? Because by the time he gets to Egypt, he's doing well. He gets to Egypt, he's gone through this test of opposition without getting bitter. He gets sold into slavery to a man called Potiphar. You can read the story. A high important official in Egypt. Joseph goes in as a lowly 17-year-old servant, and he's there serving this official. God is with him because he didn't go to the place of bitterness. God is all over this young man and everything he touches turns to gold in his serving. Not in his ruling, in his serving. He accepted that. And so Potiphar recognizes that he puts Joseph in charge of everything but Mrs. Potiphar. But Mrs. Potiphar wants Joseph to be in charge. Come sleep with me. Joseph has grown a bit older. The Bible says he's handsome. He's a good-looking young Jewish man. And so she says, come sleep with me. He won't find out. This is the test of temptation. It'll come. Believe me, it will come. Just when you think you're on top of the opposition and the dream's beginning to take shape like Joseph. I mean, he's up and coming. He's the head over Potiphar's house. He manages everything in his affairs. He's going, right, starting to happen. I see it now. Boom. Temptation. The enemy will come and try to take you out by tempting you to do something that is pleasurable. You know, in the, in the chapter of Heroes of the Faith, Hebrews 11, the writer says this, they didn't give in to the sins of pleasure for a season. Isn't that interesting? Who said sin's not fun? It is fun. It pleases the senses. How do you know Joseph wasn't standing there as a robust, young Jewish man, just hormones and sandals waiting to go, and he looked at this beautiful Egyptian woman and goes, oh, God, help me. But the Bible doesn't say she asked him once. Day after day after day, temptation came. And Joseph's going, what? this i thought i was on top of this thing what's going on and he goes no no i'm not giving in what's the fruit now not just no bitterness but now the fruit of integrity this man has trusted me with everything i will not violate his trust when people trust you i don't care how much you say god has said when you violate trust there is no god in that and joseph says no i'm not doing this I'm not going to violate his trust. No matter, no matter how much fun and how much pleasure I get out of this, I am not going to do this. And so you know what happens? Mrs. Potiphar tricks him, grabs his robe, hangs on to it, starts screaming, accuses Joseph of trying to rape her, and Potiphar believes it, throws him into prison. Boom. He's gone from up here back down to here in prison only because of his integrity. It didn't just cost him his job. It cost him his freedom maybe even his life. But Joseph said, my freedom is worth more than that. The other day we had uh, trying to get ready for family coming. We need to get some electrical work done around the house. And uh, um, I asked Adrian Melbourne, who do you use? I need a good 
electrician who will do what they say they'll do, a tradie that's on time, miracle, and, uh, and they'll do the job well. So this guy comes and he does all this job and he sends me the invoice and I get the invoice and I notice on there he's left a job off that he did. He forgot about it. What do you do? Oh, Christmas gift. Birthday. I immediately emailed him and said, hey, I just noticed you've left something off the invoice. Um, did you do that on purpose? What's going on? You need to add that in. He emailed straight back. This is a guy invited to our Christmas event here on Christmas Eve. Has a young family. Hadn't showed up yet. He'll be here one day. Um, he emailed straight back. Thank you for your honesty. Now, it was a small thing. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, my integrity's not worth that little amount of money. Not only that, God's honor is not worth that little bit amount, that amount of money. Because if it's going to get that man in the house and get him saved, and he is worthy of his hire, then so be it. Integrity. And so Joseph gets thrown into the prison, and, you know, what would you have done? He could have easily sunk into the pit of depression, become a victim. Oh, I tried to serve God, even here. I don't even know their language, and I'm serving, and I'm doing my best, and, and I didn't do a thing. I didn't touch the woman, and bang, here I am again at rock bottom. He didn't go there. He didn't take on the spirit of a victim. And he could have easily done that, and I could sympathize with him if he did. Instead, you know what he does? He just starts, he starts serving in the prison. He's gone from serving in a palace to serving in a prison. Amazing. He could have sat in the corner and sulked and said, get stuffed, I'm not doing anything. This, this is false accusation. I know another man who had false accusation. His name is Jesus. Now, he didn't say, get lost. No, he said, nothing. I was destined for this. Joseph starts serving. And he's imprisoned for years. Years. And he starts serving and all of a sudden the jailer elevates him to where, oh, you just do whatever. I trust you. I'm not even going to check up on your work. It's that good. You know your boss trusts you and he doesn't even check up on your work? Didn't say anything, staff. Anyway. You know what this shows? The fruit of character. Character is growing in Joseph. He didn't have that at 17. Oh, he was a character. He just didn't have it. Time passes. Joseph is now 30 years old. Still in the prison. And he faces yet another test. So he didn't get bitter, kept integrity, his character is growing, here comes a test. Now this is a subtle test and most people wouldn't see it as a test. I call it the test of opportunity. There's a test of opposition, there's the other test I talked about where there's temptation, then there's the test of opportunity. Can I say this? Not every opportunity that comes your way is going to help you fulfill your dreams. Just because a door opens doesn't mean God opened it. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? So here's the deal. Joseph has this opportunity, as you know, he interprets the dreams of the baker and the servant, the cupbearer, and he tells them the interpretation of the dreams. Pause. He has now grown from being somebody who just sees a dream to somebody who now knows how to understand dreams. Wow. Might have taken nearly a decade and a half, but now he's grown. 
He is now not just a guy going, I'm the man. I can do the ministry. Let me loose in the pulpit. No, he is a guy that says, I'll even preach at kids if you ask me. I didn't preach first in a pulpit. I preached in a downtown mission. People throwing up while I'm preaching. Wasn't because of the sermon. Wherever God opened the door and said, preach there first. As a matter of fact, I didn't preach in the pulpit until years after. Those of you that want to get straight up and preach, yeah, I'll come to your class on the 13th of February, Keith. Now, what day am I on the roster to preach? Doesn't work like that. Trust me, you don't want to do this unless you know God really has ordained you to do this. James said, not many of you should presume to be teachers because there's a higher judgment. I'll be behind you in heaven for sure. So, this now, Joseph interprets the dreams. Guess what happens? Two more years, nothing. What's he do? Keep serving. But Pharaoh has a dream. The servant of Pharaoh goes back and says, I know a man. Hey, you need a filling in your roster. I know a man. He serves rosters in prison. So here he comes. The Bible says they shave him. That's a sign. He probably hadn't been washed and shaved for years. It's like Lazarus. Lord, he stinketh. They bring him out. Now imagine in Joseph's mind, here's an opportunity, not just to be free, but finally, I get my chance before the most powerful man on the planet, I can exalt myself. Just let me in the green room with all the guest speakers. I'll show them I've got the gift of preaching. I've watched young guys try to position themselves next to Pastor Phil in a green room. Get over it. So here's what happened. Instead of thinking, everyone's going to see what I was destined to be. I'm going to position and promote myself in front of the Pharaoh. Not Joseph. That's the furthest thing from his mind. He remembers when he was 17 years old, he acted impetuously and arrogantly trying to promote himself over his family. He is now 30 years old and he has grown through this time of testing. He goes, I'm not doing that. Listen to what he said to Pharaoh. Most powerful king on the planet. He could snap his fingers and off with Joseph's head. Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 15, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. That itself is amazing because he is surrounded by magicians. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Watch Joseph's response. I can't do it. I don't have anything within me to do this for you. It's not a skill. It's not an ability. It's not, I didn't learn that at university. But I know God will do it. It's not me. It's him. Amazing. I want to tell you, this sounds like a different man to the young, arrogant, 17-year-old who said, I'm above you. This is now a 30-year-old man who'd gone through the school of hard knocks and you see the fruit of no bitterness, integrity, character. You know what you're seeing now? Humility. You will never go where God intends you to go until there's brokenness. I can't do this. There's no way I can do this dream that you have asked me to do, God. But you can. 
If you have ever had a dream and thought, that cannot be from God, it is outrageous, put a finger on the pause button for a minute. Because if it is outrageous, it probably is God. Because He wants you to know that don't you dare try. Let me do it. Because you see, opportunity can be our ally or our enemy. It can be an occasion for self-promotion or it can be a time of godly influence. You choose. It all depends on the source of the opportunity and how we respond to it. Yeah, I knew they'd finally see I've got the goods. And the enemy would try to scheme in these moments. It looks like, yeah, it's finally it. This is it. This is my time. And the enemy would scheme to try to get you to make the wrong choice at this moment. Tread wisely. Because God wants to work it together. Everything in this for your good. And Joseph recognizes this. He makes the right choice. After he's exalted by Pharaoh, the time comes. So he interprets the dream. Pharaoh exalts him. He is now even over Potiphar. <laughs> like Potiphar? You and your wife just back of nowhere. He's over everyone but Pharaoh and over everything. And he is prospering amazingly. Time comes through the famine. His brothers come to Egypt to get supplies so they can live. And finally they recognize... <gasps> Golly, it's him. It's Joseph. You can read the story. It's an amazing story. And they're probably frightened by the prospect of retaliation by Joseph. But here is a man in humility. He, not them, they're frightened. He's weeping. Why? He's a broken man. Second highest in the most powerful nation on the planet at that time. He is a broken man. Not because he was hard done by, by the way but because he finally got to see his brothers again. The dream is becoming reality. Humble. Chapter 45, verse 4, let's skip the chapters. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. At this stage, they don't recognize him. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He sounds like an Egyptian. I can imagine he... When, when he first started talking to them, the scripture says he's talking through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian. Now, he steps forward, no interpreter, no one else in the room, and he starts speaking Hebrew. And he says, come here, and they're shocked. And he says, when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Imagine the air that went out of the room as they gasped. <gasps> And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, don't be angry with me. Don't get angry with yourself for selling me here. This is the ultimate fruit of growth. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Not just yours. Nations. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. For the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you. Remember at 17, this is about me. At 30, this is about you. See the difference? To preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. All right. 
I said all that to say this. There's a vital, important practice that needs to be followed when we get a dream. When we think we've heard God. It's a small point, I understand, but it's a significant point. And it's one that's often neglected when people say, God said, I had a dream. But if you follow this, it will stop years and years of heartache. But when it's observed, you know what it brings? Release and confirmation. And it's what I call the act of inclusion and affirmation. Let that sit for just a second. Inclusion. Include others. Not just telling them about the dream, include them in the dream. Bring them in. They're a part of it. You go, oh, this sounds a little bit like control. I have to get your permission. This is not about permission. Permission breeds an atmosphere where there's a culture of control. This is not about permission. This is about affirmation. And we do it because we need wisdom, we need discernment, we need guidance, we need growth, we need safety, but it also brings acceleration. Do it on your own, see what happens. It's the inclusion of significant others in our world. A, a person who is smart brings in others and listens to what they have to say. Hey, I think God's talking about this. What do you think? Would you go and pray about that for me or with me? Solomon said, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listens to others. They don't just announce, they ask. What do you think? What do you think God's saying? And I'll tell you why. When it comes to hearing God, and here's a confession, when it comes to hearing God, especially on a big issue, I am not infallible in that. And I need to know that, have I really heard God? I need the wisdom from people I trust and know and who are wise, and I know they hear God, and they want God's best for my life, and I value that. I, I go to those who've been entrusted by God for my soul. I have overseers that I let speak into my world, and I ask the hard question. When I went on sabbatical, I was going on sabbatical, I was in a dark place, I'm in a real dark place, I rang up my, my, my overseer, my mentor, Pastor Gordon, and I just vomited on the phone, blah, 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 all this junk coming out. He listened. When I was finished, he said one phrase. You know what he said to me? Edwards, get over yourself. Right. Because we talk to each other like that. Fellow hunters, left-handed, 270 Magnum. Anyway, deer hunters. And he just said, Edwards, get over yourself. I needed a shock at that moment. I didn't need, a, I needed somebody going, oh, you poor little soul. I needed a shock at that moment from my mentor who has my best in mind but knew I was in a dark place and I need to shake you to get you out of there. It did. Started me on a good path. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, it starts with a dirty word in today's society, obey. Obey. Sounds like control. It's not control. It's covering Obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your soul. I don't do what I do for any other reason than to know God has given me care for you and that you make it and make it well. They watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. 
Give them a reason to do this with joy, not with sorrow. That would certainly not be your benefit. Bring in the people who are over you, who mentor you. Solomon said this in Proverbs eleven fourteen: Without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. If I just stand up and say, God said, I don't have a high chance of it working well. If I ask my mentors, if I ask my spiritual leaders, if I ask parents, he said in Proverbs 15, 22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Over and over, he talks about wisdom in Proverbs and the wisdom we get from others because I am not smart enough to hold all the wisdom of the world and hear from God perfectly. I need others. So inclusion and affirmation is vital. It is powerful. It is it is. It's incredible because Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, with the power of affirmation, he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Heaven comes to earth in this. It doesn't come to earth just because I go, I got a dream. It comes to earth because other people say, we love your dream. We're with you. We see it. We know it's God. Heaven comes. It's a defining moment when significant people confirm our dreams. The Bible talks about the strength of two or three witnesses. You couldn't even accuse somebody back in the day unless you had two or three credible witnesses. The Bible says that there is power in agreement. It says that a strand of two cords wound together will not be easily broken. And a, and a, and a strand of three is even stronger. Let me come back to... The story I told you earlier where the senior pastor unloaded on me. I mean, obviously, it ended well. I'm here, right? And he's not dead. After I got over the shock, after I got over myself, Edwards, get over yourself. Stop feeling sorry for myself. Stop feeling like, whoa, where's God? Knowing he's right there. I went to my mentor, my pastor, who is still my mentor, Dave. Some of you remember, he preached here years ago. I went to him and I said, told him what had happened. Um, and I told him what the senior pastor had done. I told him the dream, told him the calling. He had known me, he had walked with me all along. As a matter of fact, the Christian university I went to, I went there because he's an alumni of that university. And he took me there to visit. The first thing Dave did when I went to him, he said, Keith, Keith, just go back and look at the truth that God has called you. Nothing has changed on you. Not a thing. Not what you have done and not what anybody has said has changed that. God has called you. But Keith, get over yourself. You handled it wrong. Now you need to get this right. He reacted wrong, but you handled it wrong. Now, you need to do this right. And because of his wisdom, because I included him, the dream stayed alive. So, here's the deal. Some of you believe that you've lost the dream. You believe it's gone. You've been disqualified. You, something you did or you didn't do. Maybe even sinned true. Maybe you sinned. Maybe you gave in to temptation. Maybe you quit because of opposition. 
He just stopped. Maybe you got like a little victim, like I did. Me, 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 where's God in me? Get over yourself. God's still there. He hasn't left you. He hasn't. God has not given up on your dream. You don't have to be perfect for God to believe in your dream. Let me share a scripture with you. I'm a little bit nervous to do this because it usually gets given in prophetic words. If somebody wants to pray a nice prophetic thing over you, they usually use this scripture, but they don't tell you the context. Context is king when you read the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, first and foremost, the context is this. They are in captivity in Babylon, and, and they're going to be there 70 years when the prophet Jeremiah gives this word to them from God. Why are they in captivity? Because they were stupid. They rebelled against God. Shot themselves in the foot over and over again. And God gave them grace, gave them grace. Finally, he gave them discipline. Said, enough. And they're in captivity. Did God give up on the dream he had for them? No. He said, for I know the plans. You know what it says in the New King James Version? For I know the thoughts that I'm thinking for you. God never stopped thinking about them. God never stopped planning for them. God didn't give up on them just because they were dumb. He still believed in them and had a plan for them. God still believes in you and the dream he has for your life. No matter what's happened. No matter what you've done. Secondly, the dream is larger than just you. It's larger than what you first thought. Yeah, but it's been years. So? There's still years to come. You ever thought about that? Why quit now? So act on the dream maturely and appropriately by including others. Let's stand our feet. As I said, some of you once had a dream. You believed it was from God. Now you're not sure. Something happened. You got a choice today. You can say, yeah, well, so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. And if you knew what they did, that's your choice. And if you, if you stay in that zone, the dream will never happen. But if you go to the place, I know it was God. Regardless of dumb things I might have done or abusive things others would have done or whatever, I know God gave me a dream. And I've lost it along the way, but it's still here telling you it might be a seed it might be an ember but i'm telling you it's still there the holy spirit wants to breathe life onto it and we want to affirm you in that dream today but significant people we don't want to just blow hot pink air into your balloon we want to hear god with you for you and walk with you through that so bow your heads close your eyes for a minute That's where the story of Joseph just helps me so much that even in immaturity, God can still speak to us. Even when we act inappropriately, God still believes in us. So much so that he will take us through a time of being corrected, matured, and finally released for the dream. But I'm here to say to you today, God believes in you. 
no matter what you've done, God believes in you. In a minute, I'm just going to have the guys sing a little bit. And I want to give you the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit breathe on that dream again. Don't think about the past. Don't think about the opposition and the obstacles. Don't even look towards some wild opportunity that might not even be part of the dream. Think right here and now. Is the Holy Spirit speaking? And I want you to respond. I want you to come to the front. Not just raise your hand where you're at. I want you to come to the front because what I've found is this. Unless I acted deliberately to give the dream a chance to see if it really is indeed from God and it lives, I need to act incisively. Not bashfully, not timidly, but boldly. And I'm going to ask you to come to the front while they sing. And then we're just going to get people to lay hands on you and pray with you about the dream and see where it goes from here. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, dreams that have gone silent, cold, even distant, this is a moment of release. This is a moment of revival of the dream. This is a moment where you speak deeply in our hearts saying, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and with you I am well pleased. Father, breathe on hearts and minds right now by the presence of the Holy Spirit and do what I couldn't do in a thousand sermons and again bring light and life ignite a fire in hearts and bring hope once again that the dream lives. So many people ready to give up. Father, I pray that today will be a day of decision. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, as they sing, don't hesitate. Be bold. Make your way to the front. We want to pray with you about a dream that just seems to have been lost. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.